Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And you're just so happy to be back in the book world. I have a feeling more so than anything. It felt like we were going to have a lot to discuss in sports, but then the episode didn't end up being that long. But at the same time, I'd rather talk about books. It helped that we like tag team back and forth, and I feel like it just zoomed right by because of that. So And, oh God, it's too early in the morning. We're recording at weird times this week because of your schedule, and it's too early to be awake. Yeah, to clarify, I don't normally wake her up until like 7.30ish, and she was like, oh, let's wake up at 6, and I'm like, no, 6.30 at least for you. Otherwise, grumpy bears. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we're back from our short little break that we had so that we could visit family in Oklahoma, and it was also your birthday, so that was a lot of fun. Yes, we did a lot of adventuring and testing out of camera equipment, which was fantastic. Was it, though? Well, we made a rookie mistake the first day we went out. We didn't bring the second battery, so after, like, two stops, the camera was worthless. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that the camera battery would die that fast, because with my DSLR, that's not a problem, because it's, it's a, just a regular camera. I was going to say, A, it's a bigger battery. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I was watching a video the other day, somebody that was like, it's physics related to battery size. I'm like, no, it's just a bigger battery. Physics has nothing to do with the fact that... It's a bigger battery. Just realize how small that battery is. That's correct. But while we were gone for the 10 days we took off, technically, I read almost 10 books. To me, it seemed like you read like 80 things. And that's just because my brain doesn't understand books in the level you read them and how quickly right. you read them. But Well, it doesn't help that I read a couple of shorter things. And it doesn't help that technically we're recording this in a new week already so I've already finished things for this week but I'm not going to discuss it here I'm going to discuss it next week yeah so technically I've read more than nine things but in that time frame I read nine things but first we're going to discuss all the news or the important news that has happened while we were gone the important book news yes so we'll start off a little bit light-hearted Comedian Leslie Jones has cleared a middle school librarian's Amazon wish list. When North Carolinian middle school librarian Brittany Gendron, her school district made masks optional, she knew she had to do something to keep her library and her students safe and help slow the spread of COVID. So she's had items like sanitizing wipes, sanitizers, air purifiers, PPE on her Amazon wish list and began asking her community to donate supplies and money to keep her students safe. She also took to Twitter, and I guess Leslie Jones caught wind of this and just bought out her whole Amazon wish list, what was left. It's just crazy to me sometimes, like, how slow sometimes Twitter is for us. Like, I'll make funny comments on things and never get any, like, traction. But then, like, things where people actually need help, for some reason, Twitter's like, we love you and we're going to make sure everybody sees it. So, well, like, I like this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Twitter to begin with, but if you do a podcast, you kind of have to have a Twitter. So that's why you do Twitter and I try to stay away from it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's not my favorite social media that I've had to learn since we've done this. So, like, honest to God, Instagram is clearly the domain I belong in. It is not Twitter at all. I've learned I'm too old, I feel like, for Twitter. But I feel like this has been a trend for famous people or people who have a lot of money to clear Amazon wish lists in this upcoming school year, this school year that started. Yeah. I like that. I approve of that. I think more of that needs to happen, especially since Teachers shouldn't have to buy their own supplies, in my opinion. Like, it's work-related. Like, do you buy your own stapler and staples? No. No, the company pays for them. And so why should they be buying stuff they use in their classroom? I could totally understand that. Yeah. Like, I do think there should be a budget. Like, don't go over this amount. If you do, then you have to do out-of-pocket or whatever, because some teachers go hard. But, like, they shouldn't have to buy the basics. 
I may be speaking out of not knowledge, but a few of the teachers that I do know, they do get small budgets, but it's nowhere near enough what would be a requirement to like make a classroom run for an entire year. And I think that's where the flaw is. For I sure. think the difference is that you're talking about California teachers, you know, and I think it's different other places. Well, yeah, every school district I imagine would be different in some way, shape or form. So, But I like that it was a librarian whose wish list got fulfilled. I wonder if she had books on there as well. I hope so. I would hope the school at least pays for the books well, yes. in a library. But <laughs> If they didn't, that would be really bad. In some places, like here in Texas, if they don't like the type of book that you want, they're not going to give it to you. Oh, yeah. So like anything that deviates from the Christian values here in Texas, then like they're not going to want you to have that for your school. So... That's what the wish list is for. Yeah. As you and I haven't attended a Texas school, I don't know that we're 100% the most accurate people to be speaking on that, but in, like, small-town Texas, I have heard of things like that happening. So, like, I can't speak to it in, like, Dallas or Houston and, like, the bigger ISDs because they are technically independent from the state, so. Well, having gone to a small-town Oklahoma high school, I can tell you that that's pretty much how it works in the Bible Belt from my experience. Yeah. But moving on with the book news, Game of Thrones alum Jacob Anderson has officially been cast as Louis Dupont de Lac in the upcoming AMC series Interview with the Vampire. The series is an adaptation of Anne Rice's 1976 novel of the same name. Anderson will play a plantation owner who gets turned into a vampire. And Sam Reed is joining Anderson as Lestat. The vampire responsible for Lewis's transformation, Anne Rice, her son Christopher, Mark Johnson, and Roland Jones are set to executive produce this series. Jones will also serve as a showrunner and writer, and the show Interview with the Vampire is due to premiere on AMC and AMC Plus sometime in 2022. I'm thinking probably later in the year given how little has actually been shown and stuff like that. Well, as well, too, you got to think it's vampire You'd probably want to release it later in the year anyways. I mean, so, it would like, be good for roughly this time of the year next year. Right. It's kind of was my thought on that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little weird because I feel like there's already been adaptations of Interview with the Vampire, so I don't know why they're doing, like, an updated adaptation. But I've also never read it, so I have no clue. I can't speak to it because I... Don't really know much about it, but I'm sure you're right on that one, for sure. I know very little about Interview with a Vampire. Wasn't Dakota Fanning in the original movie, Interview with a Vampire? She was like a baby. Well, maybe not a baby, very small. I I don't know. I've never seen any Interview with a Vampire things before, so your guess is as good as mine. Also, I didn't really follow Dakota Fanning's rise to fame as a child actress, so... I could be incorrect, but... Let's look at all cast and crew, because that's what IMDb is for. No, I guess I'm wrong. I think the person that I thought was Dakota Fanning was instead Kirsten Dunst, who is very different, but also blonde. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst is definitely a different person altogether. Yes. I didn't realize that the book was from 76. That is getting up there in age at this point. You can't just say the end of a year when it comes to books because books were really old. Is 1976 is what you meant? Well, yes, I'm talking about Anne Rice. So, like, obviously I'm not talking about 1876. But you could be speaking to somebody like me who doesn't understand how old the book series could possibly be, or Anne Rice for that matter, because I don't know. I'm pretty sure she's still alive and kicking, so, like, definitely not 1876. That's good, at least. And definitely not 1776. There were some other things being written around that time. And speaking of another adaptation, there has been some Wheel of Time news coming out of the Amazon Prime camp. The new trailer has been released, and I watched it, and I actually kind of liked it. I almost want to watch this show, but the trailer also doesn't tell you a ton about what this is about. So in combination with the Goodreads synopsis and the trailer, I wasn't sure really what this was about as a whole The trailer is just, like, a bunch of outdoors, woodsy scenes and, like, some magic things happening. And, you know, as a fantasy reader, I'm down for that. But also, it's been announced that the first three episodes of season one will premiere on Friday, November 19th. 
with new episodes available each Friday following, leading up to the season finale on December 24th. So it sounds like it's going to be another shortened season like we've been having lately with 10 to 13 episodes, but they might be releasing more than one episode every Friday in which it would probably be a normal size season. Well, Amazon Prime is notorious too for doing these weird shortened season things. Like if you go into any of the Clancy series, if you remember, it's just like six episodes, the rest of the season may come later type situations. And so like, as long as they're longer episodes, I'd probably be okay with it. Like if they were doing just six at a time or something along those lines again. So but at least they're getting like some front heavy episodes. It's not quite like everything Amazon does where they're like, enjoy your taste of one episode. We'll see you next week. And you're just like, why? Just give me more. Right now on IMDb, it's saying six episodes in the first season, but that can't be correct if they're doing one every week and two on the first week. Who knows? Yeah. I feel like they've just been dropping tiny pieces of information everywhere for Wheel of Time, so we'll find out, I'm sure. And this adaptation is based on Robert Jordan's best-selling fantasy series of the same name, set in a sprawling epic world where magic exists and only certain women are allowed to access it. The story follows Moraine, a member of the incredibly powerful all-female organization called the Ace Sedai as she arrives in the town of Two Rivers. There she embarks on a dangerous world-spanning journey with five young men and women, one of whom is prophesized to be the dragon reborn who will either save or destroy humanity. And that is the best synopsis I have found for the series as a whole. So I hope that might clarify things for people who might be like me and had no idea what this was about until that synopsis. Yeah. The cast includes Rosamund Pike, Daniel Henney, Josh Stradowski, Madeline Madden, Marcus Rutherford, Zoe Robbins, and Barney Harris. I'll be honest, I don't think I've heard of a single one of those people. Watching the trailer, there were people I recognized, so I feel like you probably have seen them somewhere, but you might be like me and just not remember the names. Well, as well too, like a lot of these series that have been coming out are trying to find people that aren't in the limelight for characters now, which True. honestly I think is good. A, it gives other actors an opportunity to possibly become famous. B, you know, actors got to work. So, right. you know. And the last piece of news that I found for the time we were gone is that Los Angeles Lakers superstar LeBron James has a second children's book that has come out. This one is called We Are Family and follows five children from different backgrounds who must come together to save their basketball season. He has said that it's an important story of family, purpose, and perseverance in the face of adversity. And the book was released on August 31st. I've noticed with celebrities or athletes, things like that, a lot of the times it doesn't really hit the news until the book has already been released. So that happened with his first book, that happened with the Mariah Carey memoir and other books like this, so I'm not really surprised I'm just now hearing about this. Also, I'm not in the children's literature world, really. I mostly read YA, new adult, adult, so... I feel like as well, too, at least from my experience trying to find book news with a few times that I do try to go out and look for them, that, like, there's not one source for it. It's not like with sports where I can just go to the one app and get all the news from all the sports. Like, you legit sometimes have to do a little bit of legwork to find things. I mean, you often have to do legwork to find things, and you're not going to have people cultivating, like, more obscure news. Like, you do have some places on the internet that do discuss book news, but it's usually bigger things like adaptations, or this author who everyone knows and loves is coming out with a 16th book or whatever. Right. So sometimes you do have to do a little digging. And that might be why maybe things don't get quite as out, like... I don't know, like if you Google book news or you go to NPR for book news, a lot of times Ew, it's NPR. It's stuff that is just either very old news that they're just now writing about like weeks later or... Very mainstream. Or just so mainstream, it's like if you didn't know this was coming out, you're just oblivious to the world. And living under a rock. Right. So like it, it, those in-between stories that like are good stories to talk about are hard to find sometimes, so... For sure. And then we have our tag section. I thought this would be a fun one to do because you and I both love this show. 
Yeah. Because I remember last year during the pandemic, I really discovered the show for the first time and I marathoned through all eight seasons that I found on Netflix, plus the Christmas special. The irony about this is, is when you had COVID last year, this is what I slept to most of the time on the couch. Like, I literally was like, well, I got to find something on Netflix that I'm not going to care to be like 100% focused on. Right. But like will be interesting enough to just kind of lull me into a sleep. And it seemed like this was a pretty good show. But the irony is I kept going back and like restarting the episodes from where I fell asleep. And I'm like, I remember this. This was so great. And so like it took me forever to get through them. Right, right. But because you were down for the count for like a month, I had all the time in the world to sit here and watch these, you know. Yeah. These episodes. I didn't even start it until after I'd gotten over my main symptoms from having COVID. So, like, I started this last fall, and I think it's a really good fall show. So, we're talking about the Great British Bake Off book tag in our tag section, and uh, I need another season. So, that would be great, because I've already watched everything on Netflix. Right. I think the big thing for them is just trying to avoid, like, COVID issues, I would imagine. Because, like, if you have everybody kind of living in one space, it's tough. Well, season eight, they did record during COVID. Yeah, they had people stay at their homes rather than on the, like, campus that they were keeping them, I think, predominantly. So, a little different. But we'll get off the little soapbox talking about the show that we both enjoy. Right. The first question is called The Amateur Baker. What is a book that is self-published that you've read? I could only come up with one because I don't tend to read self-published books. I was reached out to by this author several years ago to read her book because she found me on Tumblr and it seemed like I was very fantasy heavy and this was a fantasy book that she thought I might like. So I decided to read that one. And it's called The Seven by Courtney Prasky. It is the first book in a YA fantasy series about the last habitable land following a nuclear apocalypse. That's interesting. The land is divided into seven nations that are ruled by one magical representative from each nation. So they become the seven. And... I remember reading this and really enjoying it, and I feel like she did such a good job with the setting and the world building, and, like, she knew her magical system inside and out. Well, I would hope so. She's the one that wrote it. You'd be surprised how many times you read a fantasy, and you're like, where did that come from? Do you even know what you're talking about? Like, how am I supposed to understand the magic if you don't understand the magic? So she did a really good job with that. There were, of course, spelling and editing errors that you normally get a lot worked out whenever you're editing with someone from a traditional publishing house. Properly proofread it and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. I think I gave it a 3.75 just because of all the editing problems. But if those were taken out, I think it would have been like a 4.5 for me, which is really good, especially for a fantasy. Yeah. Like, I have a friend who's self-published a book, and at some point, I'd like to get the opportunity to read one of her books, because, like, she has two of them out. She's working on her third book now. Okay. And they're not my cup of tea. They're definitely, like, I'm pretty sure romance. I don't know if they're adult romance, but, like, I still want to support a friend who's an author. Right. You know? So it's just, like, if you're able to get a book published, period, like, even if it's self-published, I feel like you did a thing. That most people can't say they've done. Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time sitting down and completely writing a book, let alone getting it self-published and continuing to write other books. Right. So that's pretty good. And who knows, maybe one day we'll phone her into the show when her third book comes out. Maybe I'll have her send you like a copy or something, an ARC, so that you can read it ahead of time. I don't know. I would definitely want to read it before doing that. Yeah. But question number two is called A Soggy Bottom. What is a book that had a great start but a disappointing ending? I put Allegiance. Solid answer. Because, like, coming from where the second book ended, and honestly, at the beginning of the third book, it was, there were things happening, and it was kind of exciting, and then nothing happened for, like, a very, very long time in that book, and the ending was honestly not that great. I was very disappointed with the way this one ended. So, like, I approve of your answer. Yeah. For me, I chose Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating by Christina Lauren. This is a book about a mismatched friendship. So they're very much opposites where they're both trying to set the other person up on dates, but the dates are all disasters. And then they end up hanging out together at the end of the night. 
and a romance forms between the two of them. It's friends to lovers, so I always enjoy that, but I hated the third act conflict, and of course everyone ends up in the epilogue married with children, which is annoying. And everyone wants a happily ever after when they pick up a romance, like that's the whole point, is to get to that end point. But happily ever after doesn't have to end up with you being married with children. You can have a happily ever after where all the conflict is resolved and like everything makes sense and you're happy together. You don't have to be married and have children in order to get there. Well, yeah, but at the same time, like it's, I feel like, a little bit of your perspective thrown into that opinion, possibly. For some people, that maybe is happily ever after, and that's kind of why it's included, I guess. Well, you could end a romance novel with them being happy and together and looking forward to the future and not have to end it that way. Gotcha. And still, it's a happily ever after for the people who want it, and they can imagine that in the future, sometime they will have children or whatever, (laughs) if that's what they want. Got it. But the third act conflict was a pregnancy scare and like she's not talking to him and like because she's scared that he's going to be upset that the one time they had sex she got pregnant and it just doesn't make sense for someone who's supposed to be your best friend and someone you lean on just to be like I can't talk to you about the biggest thing that's happened to me like to me that didn't make sense and then on top of that Whenever everything did come to a head, it was over in like a second. I was like, oh great, you had chapters of worrying and anxiety for no reason. Which, as someone with anxiety, yes, that's how that happens. I was going to say, isn't that how it works? (laughs) In a book, that is the most annoying crap. Yeah, like anxiety is 100% like the way it was written in the book. Whether the accuracy hurts or not, I guess. I mean, for a book, it just doesn't make sense to waste that many chapters having anxiety over it and then it to be nothing. Yeah. Like, why'd you build it up? To be nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And the next question is, hashtag Ben Gate, what's a book that you got frustrated with and had to DNF? And this is a callback to the time that guy threw away his cake and they were like, you should have presented it anyway, so now you're gone. Yeah. This one, I picked The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George. It's a book that was translated from French to English, and it had a meandering exploration of one man's emotions following a really bad breakup. I got about 100 pages in and stopped, which isn't normal for me. Normally, I just push through, but it was during the Snowmageddon that we had this past February, and I just wasn't about to drag myself through this book when I was freezing in my own house. Right. For me, I... I really haven't DNF'd a book in a long time. I think I talked to you a little bit about it last night. I'm like, I'm trying to think of a book I've DNF, but like, it's probably been since I was like in college or high school where I was like, right. I'm, I can't do this. So I really don't remember an exact answer per se. Now, like there's been a few books in a certain periods of time in the middle of the books where they're building things where I'm like, is this ever going to come to something? Right. And like, I've contemplated it, but I've never DNF'd anything yet. So no bin gates for me. And the next question is Junior Bake Off. What is a children's book? For me, I wasn't a fan of this question because the prompt is just a children's book. Thank you. So I guess I'll mention a few One that I loved as a child was The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. It features a group that's gathering for the reading of a will, and the game-loving millionaire has set up one last game in his will. I mean, I love Knives Out. I love the Inheritance Games. No one's surprised that this started when I was like eight or nine. And then another one is one that I read recently, and I put Artemis Fowl by Owen Colfer. I enjoyed it as a whole, but I'm just really too old to be reading that one and being impressed by it. I can read it and have a decent time, but like I'm still not impressed as a 32-year-old. Got it. For mine, I was kind of on the same page with you. I was just like, what does this even mean? Right. And so, like, I'm like, what books did I read as a kid? So, like, I read Hatchet when I was really young, and it's been a book that, like, has those childhood memories. I'm honest to God afraid to read it now because I might just hate it and be like, this is a dump. Why did I enjoy this? That's good to know because it is on the TBR for the end of the month. Okay. So, fun. Yeah. But I did thoroughly enjoy it as a kid. To the point where, like, it just sticks in my brain. Like, I've read so many books, but, like, that one always comes to the top. 
And I don't know if it's because, like, I was always an outdoorsy kid. Like, I liked camping, and I liked hiking, and I liked all these things. So, like, it just kind of always was good to me because of that, I feel like. Yeah. The next question is a Hollywood handshake. What is a book that impressed you? So I'm not the biggest sci-fi person in the whole world, but I really, really liked An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. Yeah. It surprised me because honestly, I was like, oh, this is going to be silly and just not great. And I was, I know that the reviews were really hyped up. So like I was excited, like everybody thinks it's a good book. So maybe it'll be a really good book. And it was really, really great. So yeah. For me, I had a couple. The first one is one that I read recently or somewhat recently. It's The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. It was an amazing read. It's a great fantasy novel that includes a found family and a handful of fun cons that we get to watch unfold. But also, despite it being so dense, I really enjoyed reading The Octonomy by Trevor Allen Forrest, which was pretty impressive because of how much world building went into it. There's a whole imaginative world that came with a dictionary and a pronunciation guide and an interactive app and so like the whole thing was pretty impressive and then to top it all off when you ordered the book you got this box that came in and it's this whole unboxing experience that's all over TikTok and YouTube I'm pretty sure but it was really fun the one problem I have is people buy this book because they see it on TikTok and I have yet to see anyone actually review it besides me so that's really annoying it it only had a handful of reviews whenever I posted my review earlier so this year. people bought it for the pretty book effect, like, is what you're telling me it sounds like? It, it's pretty to unbox and it's pretty to own, and so people buy it, and then very few people have actually read it, which is a disappointment. Yeah, I could imagine that's a little frustrating. And Signature Challenge, what's a book that you would recommend to your friends and family? So this is what I've recommended a couple dozen times already. Vicious by V.E. Schwab. Yeah. I think it's a good book. Like, for some of my family members, probably not. Like, for the younger family members, yes. But, yeah, I don't know that, like, I'd be like, hey, mom, you should read this book. But friend- She should. It's really good. But friends-wise, like, yeah, absolutely. I recommend it to practically everybody, so... I said that I think most of my family would enjoy The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. It's basically like a self-care type of book reminding you of things that you should know that a therapist would tell you, but now it's in a form that you might actually accept, especially for people who don't like therapy and stuff like that. But if I could choose any recent read to make my friends and family pick up, it would be If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. Okay. It's a dark academic novel featuring a bunch of kids at this very private university that's very focused on the arts. And one of the people in this group ends up dead. And we're pretty sure one of the people in the group actually ended up murdering them. Oh, fantastic. So... It's told somewhat non-linearly because you see the day that the person who got arrested for it leaves jail and him basically telling the story to the cop that arrested him after the fact. And it's just, it's really well done. It has the very atmospheric fall vibes if that's what you're looking for in a book coming up. Well, that's important with fall just around the corner. Yeah. I'm ready for the summer temps to leave us here in Texas. That would be so nice. Yeah. If it would be less than 90 whatever degrees. Yeah. We have so many people moving here to Texas right now that like every day I have people from other states that are like, how do you live with this? I said, well, I don't know. I've only been here three years. Well, <laughs> I mean, on top of that, this isn't even the hottest it's been. Uh, no. So. I'm like, it's not that bad right now. <laughs> like, it, it's been worse. Yeah. For the technical challenge, what are books that you read without knowing much beforehand? And it wants you to rank them from worst to best, but I only listed one, so. I didn't put any because I'm like, I I don't know that I'm going to be able to compile a list because, like, for the most part, most of the books I read, you give me a general understanding of what I'm getting myself into. So I'm I'm never going in blind to anything. Uh, I think when I read Foundry Side, like, I might finally go in blind to something. Yeah. But otherwise, like, for the most part, you're like, this is 
kind of what the plot line's going to look like. And I'm like, good. I'm glad I'm getting myself into something because I'm going to enjoy. one of the things that I really don't like with the book world is synopses that either reveal way too much, and so you go in knowing everything before or you even start reading. None at all. Nothing. Or having a misleading synopsis. And it's like, that's not what the story is actually about. It's just stuff you think will get people to buy the book. Yeah. Like, I read the back of it, and now I'm like, okay, this is, I'm sold. You right. Know. And then it's nothing like what the back of it says. Yeah. But I chose Men at Arms by Terry Pratchett. I read it for a science fiction and fantasy class in college. And I really enjoyed the absurdist nature and the world that was built. But I didn't know a lot about Terry Pratchett and the disc world and everything going into that class. So I didn't know anything about this. And I've reread it multiple times since that class because I really enjoy it. I'm still really overwhelmed with the Discworld as a whole, so, like, I don't go near it. That was my first and only foray into it. I'm sure I would love the rest of Terry Pratchett's novels. It's just, where do you start and where do you keep going? Because technically you can start anywhere, supposedly. Right. And it's just like, that's too much. Too many (laughs) options. I can't do it. But I didn't know anything going into that one. For the Showstopper Challenge, what's a book series that is your all-time favorite? So it's one that we read kind of recently. I fell in love with the Warcross world. Okay. And I think it has a lot to do, obviously, with me being a gamer. So, like, the combination of, like, a good story with gaming, my brain was just like... We need to find you more gaming books if that's... Well, I don't know that that's going to be the easiest thing in the entire world, at least based on what I've seen. I have three that have already popped into my head, so... Perfect. Incorrect. All right. But for mine, I said that... I haven't mentioned this series in more than five seconds, so why not bring it up again? The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. Definitely <laughs> one of my favorites. It's been favorite. a couple episodes, so like I'm impressed, I guess. You should be. <laughs> yeah. Because I want to tell you the good news of our Lord and Savior. Murderbot. Murderbot, yeah. For the finalist question, what is a favorite trilogy? So a series can be any size, but obviously a trilogy is just three books. So this was tough because I think I've only read two trilogies, if I stand corrected. So like the Divergent series. Right. Well, technically they added a fourth book, but didn't they? Like it was a weird like little short novella thing. I mean, they have a novella, but it's still, I would call it a trilogy. And then The Hunger Games are really the only two trilogies I think I've ever read. Yeah, I've had you read a lot of duologies. Because like as a kid, I read... Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. I've read a lot of duologies. I've read the... Harry Potter. Harry Potter series. And so it's just like, I didn't really have too much to pick from. And since I really didn't like the way the one wrapped up, as we discussed earlier, it made it a very easy decision. The so Hunger, Hunger Games, Games nice. somehow won the I, trilogy. I approve of that when Divergent is your only other option. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's kind of like an American election where you're like, oh, this is okay and this is okay, but neither of them are really great. So let's just... Pick the one that's kind of greater. I said that I have a couple open trilogies that I'm really enjoying, like the Clue Mystery series by Diana Peterfrund and the Themis Files by Sylvain Nouvelle, which I would have already finished if my book hadn't gotten lost. In in Guam, which is the best part. They sent your book from Nevada to Guam rather than to Texas. It's been an experience. Yeah. They, They shipped it across the international dateline to then take it back. Yeah. Yeah. But if we are talking about completed series, maybe the Devabod trilogy, because I was swept up in that when I read it. But also, I really enjoyed the first truly devious arc. I think technically the first three books are a trilogy. The Box in the Woods and whatever follows are going to be a whole separate thing. So I'm going to go with that one, I think. That's fair. And the last question is an extra slice. What is your favorite companion book or books that are companions to series? I don't think I've read a companion book yet. I'm Not on the podcast. Yeah. You could read Quidditch Through the Ages and then you would have read one. Or any of those small little things that go along with the Harry Potter books. But my answer was that I really enjoyed The Lives of Saints by Lee Bardugo, which covered the different in-world saints from the Grishaverse. Okay. I also enjoyed The Language of Thorns, which are a bunch of fairy tales from Ravka, which is a land in her Grisha verse, because they're all really dark and twisted fairy tales, 
And they turn what we think of as a fairy tale on its head. And so I really enjoyed those as well. That's interesting. Yeah. I would much rather read the language of Thorn a thousand times over than the fairy tales I just finished last night that we won't discuss in this one. We'll discuss in the next episode. That's fair. But like I said earlier, I've read nine things that we're going to discuss in this episode. So I'll try to keep it really quick. If you want my full thoughts on everything. I have them up on my Goodreads and my blog, which will be linked in the show notes. First, I read Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, part of my yearly reread. Let's move on. (laughs) I also read Imperfect Chemistry by Mary Frame, which was a 2014 release and an adult contemporary slash romance from the rom-com anthology 10 First Dates. I rated it 3.25 stars. It's a book about a scientist who doesn't understand emotions and gets help from her neighbor to study emotions as a pathogen, so something that you can sort of not force onto other people, but other people are influenced by your emotions. Then I read Reading Quirks, Weird Things That Bookish Nerds Do by The Wild Detectives and Laura Pacheco. It's a 2019 release and an adult comic This is from an independent bookstore that we went to during our break, but it's not really a bookstore. It's more like a bar slash coffee shop that has like a couple of stands of books. So it was really weird walking into that place. Definitely a a place for hipsters to work on Wi-Fi and have a basic coffee drink or an alcoholic beverage. Right. And, like, they had a little hangout area in the back, which, like, I feel like if we lived in the neighborhood, wouldn't be a bad place for us to just kind of go and hang out and have a drink in the evening times when it's not a billion degrees outside like it was the day we went. Also, it's a bit of a drive if that's all you're really going there for is a drink and to hang out. Because there are other places closer to us to do that. Right. But this one I rated 4.5 stars. Each page has a cute four-square panel comic about habits that readers have. The only reason I didn't rate this higher is because a lot of the examples that they were using were super pretentious and like classics and like really highbrow books. And it's like other readers do this too, not just like your whole hipster clientele. So that that's the only reason it didn't get higher. So the reason it didn't get a five star is because it was too hipstery. Yeah. Got it. And then I read something from NetGalley. It's called Lies My Memory Told Me by Sasha Wunsch. This one releases on October 19th and is available for pre-order now. It is a YA sci-fi novel that I rated three stars. In this book, Nova's parents created enhanced memories and the whole world has completely adapted to this new technology. But when a boy mistakes her for a friend he's lost, everything starts to unravel. And at one point, Nova's questioning her own memory and the things that she possibly has forgotten. And... In this one, I really expected it to be more of a psychological thriller than it was, and I just, I didn't feel the fear or any of the things that I expected going in. And then I picked up a comic that we also got the day we were out in the Bishop Arts District in Dallas from a little independent comic book shop. Red Pegasus. Yes. Yeah. And it's called Madly Ever After by Scotty Young. It is volume one in the I Hate Fairyland comics. It's a 2016 release. I ended up rating it 3.5 stars. It's about a little girl who gets sucked into a portal and discovers that she can't leave until she finds a key. But after being stuck in the same body for 30 years and traveling all over Fairyland, she still hasn't been able to find the key. And during that time, she really becomes a little bit broken. Like her, so like twisted or dark. She, she's basically become a sociopath and she's going around murdering things and people. She kills the moon at one point. And so like, it's this whole thing. And when the guy recommended it to me, it's like, it's this really cute art style, but it's really dark. And so you might enjoy it. And he ended up saying that she murders things and like gave a full synopsis for a thing. And then I turned to him and went, you had me at murder. Yeah. But then I read it and I didn't love it. It was okay. But I think comics definitely aren't my main media source media of choice. that I enjoy. Yeah. So I don't think I would ever rate a comic five stars unless it's like super chunky. Yeah. Because I just need the backstory. And I just, I needed more from this. 
Yeah, I, I will tell you, he really did take into consideration everything that you were feeding him as an employee, like to Correct. try to find yeah. you the right thing. And I, I had my fingers crossed that this was going to be it, like right on the head. But obviously, like I know comics aren't your first choice. Right. Like if you had the option to get this maybe in like a longer book version, I feel like you might have enjoyed it more. Probably. But I did read more comics that we'll discuss later. But in between the comics, I read The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It's book number one in the Inheritance Games trilogy and a 2020 release. This is a YA mystery novel that I initially rated 4.5 stars, mostly because one of the side characters reminded me too much of myself, from nickname to hobby to history. And so this time around, it didn't bother me as much. So I would almost consider bumping it up to a 4.75, but I don't think the logic on this one flows well enough to be a five star. Okay. But I stuck with the 4.5 star rating. Anyway, so this book, I'll give you a quick synopsis on. When a mysterious billionaire leaves Avery Graham's his estate, the family is determined to find a way around his will. This has a lot of Knives Out vibes without the murder. As we've already discussed, I love weird wills, billionaires and millionaires adding weird and crazy things to their will, like, I'll read it all day every day. Right. And mostly you're trying to find out why he put her in the will, and you follow a bunch of clues and riddles throughout the book. And then I did read a second comic, Giant Days by John Allison, which is volume number one in the Giant Days comic series. It released in 2015, and it's sort of a new adult comic series because it's a slice-of-life comic about three friends in their freshman year at university. I ended up rating it four stars, which for me, I feel like is pretty high for a comic just because there's so little backstory that comes with comics. So I would almost consider keep going with the series. But shortly after I finished that, I got approved for Teen Titans Beast Boy Loves Raven by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo for NetGalley. So this one comes out on September 28th, and it's volume number three in the Teen Titans graphic novel series. This one follows Raven and Garfield as they both travel to Nashville to meet with Slade, who says he has the answer to all their questions. And I rated this one four stars as well, so... I think just because of how far I am into the series, like I don't feel like I'm missing as much backstory as I could be. But also we meet a new character who I'm pretty sure is Robin, like from Batman. And so like, I approve of that. I want more of him. Well, you know, he's a member of the Teen Titans. So so like... that does make sense then. Yes. Okay. Well, it never comes out and says it. Yeah. So I'm just going based off clues, context clues. What was his name? Not Robin. Well, yeah, obviously, I don't remember. But, okay. But I didn't love reading it from NetGalley because the NetGalley shelf, everything looked kind of muddled and harder to tell what was going on, which isn't the fault of the actual graphic novel because it wouldn't look like that in actual graphic novel form. Well, knowing us, we'll probably still pick up the hard copy when it does come out just yeah. because the artwork in that series has been pretty good. Yeah. And then, because we're discussing this for the podcast, I read Supernova by Marissa Meyer. It's a 2019 release and book number three in the Renegade series. When I originally read it, I gave it 4.5 stars. I might bump that down a little bit now to like 4.25 or 4, but I'll give a quick short synopsis so I don't give anything away for you. Well, I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, so let's not spoil it all. Just a little bit. You're literally one-third of the way through it. Oh, am I? One third of the way through the book. I apologize. In this one, Nova and Adrian are both determined to accomplish their goals. Adrian to find Nightmare and get justice for Max, as well as finding out as much information as he can about his mother's death. Nova to get Ace out of prison and to bring the anarchist back into power. And that's everything I read in 10 days. Nine books in 10 days. Well, I mean, graphic novels, comics kind of make it a little easier. Yeah. But what I plan on reading next is In the Hall with a Knife by Diana Peterfrund, which is a 2019 release and the first book in the Clue Mystery series. It's a YA mystery set at a remote boarding school in Maine during a blizzard, and it's what they call an isolated closed circle mystery, which is here are all the players, they're isolated, no one else can get in and do this, so who did it? Right. And you have to figure it out, which I really enjoyed that sort of thing. And I'm rereading it before the third book comes out. And then I did finish this big giant 
project and we're going to talk about it more next week because technically it's not within the time frame that we're discussing. But the Grim Fairy Tales I've been working on since June wrapped that up last night. We'll talk about it next week. That's fair because that's going to take a good chunk of time, I have a feeling. Absolutely. And then I'll be reading The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. It is a March 2020 release and a 40 books before 40 book that I'm planning on reading. This book has been advertised to me as a hug in book form, which, you know, I might need after the murder mystery. This had so many different categories that people had put it in on Goodreads that I found really difficult to categorize, but I put a magical realism novel, and I think it's adult because the character is an adult that we're following, but I've also heard people say it's middle grade or middle grade for adults. So in this one, Linus is a caseworker for the department in charge of magical youth, and he's tasked with checking in on six children at a government orphanage. Got it. Sounds like an interesting book. Yeah. It really took the world by storm when it came out, so I'm just finally getting to it. Well, welcome to the rest of the world, I guess. And then I'm going to try to finish, but it may not happen, Ace of Spades by Frida Abik Imidi. It's a new release that came out this year, and in it, an anonymous texter called Aces brings two students' dark secrets to light, and that's as much as I really want to discuss or look at the synopsis because I want to go in knowing as little as possible because it is a mystery. But this one is also all over the book internet, as I like to call it. Yeah. But because we've had so much to talk about in the podcast thus far, we'll try to keep it short and sweet when it comes to what you've read so far out of Supernova. Yeah, so there's been a lot of things happening at the front end of this book. Go figure, because the back end of the book had a lot of things going on in the previous ones. Right, and Arch Enemies. So at the end of Arch Enemies, you really see both Nova and Adrian both sort of hunker down into their stubbornness about what they want to achieve and how they want to achieve it. And I said that it's like they're even more on their side, the side that they started out on, than they were at the beginning of Renegades because of everything that's happened in the first two books. Yeah. You realize at the end of that novel that Nova's cover hasn't been blown. And so the start of this novel, she's going back into Renegades headquarters, which she thought was never going to happen again. Right. She had completely prepared for this to just never be a thing that was going to exist in her life ever again. Like it was cutting ties, the end, wrap it up. Right, and so we see her and Adrian in the torn apart lobby of Renegade's headquarters when we start this book, and she's basically got to play dumb and act like she doesn't know anything about what happened there because she was with her uncle when it happened in Arch Enemies. And everyone's discussing Max and how he's doing because he was put in the hospital during that big fight, and... We see a couple moments where Oscar's like, maybe Nightmare isn't so bad because he's talking about how Nightmare took out Frostbite and her crew and like, right. gotta hand it to her for that one. Did us all a solid by eliminating them from being a problem. Yeah, it was interesting at the very beginning because you see everybody kind of catching up to speed on everything that's going on. Right. Like at a certain point, you see Adrian catching up with Max when Max finally comes out of his health issues. And Max is like, well, Nightmare saved me. And yeah. he was like, what? What do you mean? Like, I saw her over your body, like, after you were impelled. What are you talking about? Like, there's no way. And I like that Max clears this up with everyone. But at the same time, it's like, it'd be better for Nova if you didn't. Yeah. You know? We also see that Janissa is really upset with the Renegades for what's happened to her and her her loss of powers. And so we see her confront the council in front of everybody. And it doesn't really go well for the council. No, they're definitely behind the eight ball, that's for sure. In the end, they come to the agreement that Janissa is allowed to take part in the punishment of the prisoners when Agent N is revealed. Yeah. We may have skipped a little ahead of some things. I mean, but in the end, that's what that conflict resolves into. Yeah. And in this section. Yeah. And there's a little meeting with Adrian's patrol team at his house, and Dana's butterflies are there, and they're trying to give away the fact that Nova's a problem, 
Yeah. But because they're in butterfly form, she sort of turns it around and she's like, oh, they're saying that I can help figure this out, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Because they're trying to find Nightmare at this point. And after that meeting, Nova has sort of a debrief session with Honey and Cyanide. And when that's happening, they hear a noise overhead and they go into Honey and Nova's room and find a threat left on her mirror. mirror. And she is basically told to bring the helmet to the station where they used to live or otherwise everyone will know who she is. And so now she's really worried because Adrian and his team are starting to piece together a bunch of things that she hadn't realized she'd left clues about. But at the same time, someone else is threatening to give her away. Yeah, and I'll be honest, when we find out who it is, I kind of suspected that's who it was just because of where the message was left. Right. And if you've read the previous books, you will know that probably the answer to that one as well. Yeah. But she then realized that she has to take the fake helmet from the offices of the council in order to basically pull the wool over the eyes of this other person that's blackmailing her. So that she can keep Ace's real helmet and not have to give it up because that's what she did the whole thing for. Right. And when she goes to do that, she finds Adrian down in the tunnels after she's left the helmet in Honey's old room. Yeah. And she has to find a way to, like, deal with him being there and get an eye on this person, but obviously that doesn't work. We also see a confrontation in Adrian's family about what to do about Max because the dads are like, obviously we're going to rebuild quarantine and put him back in there. And Adrian's like, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Like the whole point of putting Max in there in the first place was to develop Agent N. So like... Well, before that, he was put in there in order to prevent people from losing their powers accidentally. And then they figured they could develop Agent N. Yeah. And now they have, and Adrian's like, I don't want him in there anymore. Yeah. And while that confrontation is happening, Nova's trying to figure out a way to get her uncle out of Cragmore Penitentiary. And there aren't a lot of blueprints of what it currently looks like. They understand what it looks like from the outside, but the inside and how everything's structured in the penitentiary, they have no idea. Well, and the reality is they know that it's overly the top guarded as well, so it wouldn't be an easy process to break in there in the first place. Because you have prodigies and non-prodigies guarding the place, and the non-prodigies have weapons, and the prodigies are weapons, and so it's just like, good luck. Yeah. Don't know how you're going to do it. And they also have a confrontation with Narcissa, who is the person that threatened Nova. Through the mirrors, go figure. Amazing how that happens. Yeah. The person that travels through mirrors is the one making the threats on the mirrors. Yeah. She is basically saying that she and what are called the rejects want to find a way to get back at the renegades, but they're also mad at Nova for what she did to the librarian and, well, the library. Right. And the rejects are all people who have tried to become renegades, but their powers are considered useless or whatever, and they weren't accepted onto a patrol team. Yeah. Basically a bunch of angry teenagers that aren't happy about their powers not being accepted. Well, I feel like they're also probably adults. older yeah. adults, but yeah. yeah, mostly a bunch of teenagers who are crybabies. Yeah. They help her escape by throwing a brick through the window, and I'm like, that's such a teenager thing to do. Like, no grown adult goes throwing bricks anymore. But... It ends up that Narcissa, I believe, releases the butterfly that was in the jar during this confrontation. And so basically Nova, Honey, Cyanide all have to get the hell out of there as soon as possible, leaving as little evidence as possible because they're going to get caught. Because now Dana can become a human again and tell everybody everything. And so Leroy sets off a bunch of devices to blow up the entire house and practically the whole city block. I was going to say, the house is pretty much evaporated as well as portions of the walls of the buildings next to it. So based on the definition of everything. In the process of that explosives going off, though, our girl Nova has to save Adrian because Boy Wonder just shows up to knock at the door and walks in the house, starts telling her how it is, and she's like, no, really, follow me now, or you're dead. Right. Well, because he had found out that Nova's nightmare, and yeah. so he comes over. while well, they're basically clearing out everything that they want to save from the house, and Nova had left behind the vitality charm, which she wanted to keep because Agent N is just everywhere. Yeah. And so 
she saves the charm, but she has to throw it down to someone else because Adrian's at the front door and everyone's going out the back. Yeah, she tosses it down to Phobia. And so she saves all the stuff, but then she has to save Adrian because he doesn't know that this bomb's about to go off. Yeah. And the reality is she should have just gotten out and let Adrian be the poor sucker, but like... Here's the problem with that. She still has feelings for Adrian. Very much so. Yeah. We We have... Two and maybe a quarter books at this point showing us that she has feelings for Adrian. So she couldn't just do that because of her feelings. So in saving him, she kind of doomed herself because he's got you at this point. Especially since your house just blew up. It looks a whole lot like you escaping. Yeah. And so they take her to Cragmore Penitentiary where all the prodigy bad people do. It really bothers me that when we do see that scene with them later in the penitentiary that he's like, do you even love me? And I'm like, yeah, she saved your life, you idiot. Like, knowing that she was going to get locked up. She knew she was going to get locked up. Right. Like, she legit saved you in the process of knowing what was coming. But at the same time, when someone's been lying to you and manipulating you for that long, you can't do anything but question every single thing. That they've said or done the entire time you've known them. So I think it makes sense. Gotcha. And I do like the scene of him questioning her because I'm an angst person. I like angst and it's just chock full of it for both of them. (laughs) You see how hard it is from Nova's perspective, but I think the bits that you see from Adrian are also super emotional. So I just, I really enjoyed that whole part. And we also see her as a whole at the penitentiary. And it's like, some of this feels a lot like when you go through basic for the military. And so it's like, don't love seeing that. But at the same time, I could also see her hopelessness for the situation and a lot of her like desperation to try to outthink the problem. But she can't. There's nothing she can do at this point. She's literally in a box hanging from a like steel rope, basically, right? Like that's kind of how they're being held and then they get lowered and then yeah. they can go do normal things and then they go back and to their box and get lifted back up again. Yeah. And like, it's not just bars, there are double bars and lasers. And so like, you're not getting past that. I don't care who you are. Yeah. And then like in the actual interview room, like it sounds like they're sitting very far away from one another. Not like the normal prison where it's like glass person, person. Yeah. It's like glass person, a hundred feet chair (laughs) like you're in a room with speakers you don't actually get to be heard your actual voice it's reciprocated through a microphone well and i feel like this is set up this way because it's for people who have powers so i mean it's supposed to be for everyone's safety and we do see a scene where blacklight is there teaching them more about agent n and it just devolves into this thing where everyone's fighting with him about it and like look what happened to janissa and a mask isn't going to do anything against actually getting shot with it right and like how do we prevent them from getting it or making more and it just completely collapses on him which makes a lot of sense, to be completely honest. Like, it's just crazy to me that at first thought that wasn't what everybody was thinking in the first place. Right, right. And that's something that both Adrian and Nova had thought about from the very first time they brought up Agent N. Yeah. So, for me, I thought it made... Complete sense. Complete and total sense from the start. Yeah. And then this is the part where we actually see the conflict with Janissa turn into, well, okay, we'll let you help execute nova yeah and we'll execute ace and then everyone else will get neutralized is the agreement that they basically come to at this part when you say they you mean the Captain chromium because realistically nobody else is on board based on the conversations that go on i mean the council is like yeah but no but yes but no so i mean it's sort of mixed about who agrees but everyone else is like We're just killing Killing people people now. now. Yeah. That's just how it's happening. That's where we're at. So. And you see Adrian be so torn up about this. And like my angsty heart loves that because like, yes, be conflicted. Hate it. Drown in your own emotions. It's awful. (laughs) I'm horrible. (laughs) I did want to mention though, before we wrap up this section, when Adrian and Nova are having this confrontation at Cragmore, she's still claiming her innocence. Yeah. And that's super important to me because she's been claiming her innocence the whole time. 
And I love that she doesn't deviate from that, even though it would be so easy to go, well, yeah, here's everything. I think that has a lot to do with her not wanting to look as bad to Adrian, though. Like, more so than, like... So for romantic reasons yeah, and not because of, like, criminal reasons? Because the reality is, like, as a character, when she's Nightmare, it's more of like, yeah, I'm Nightmare. I'm the best. You yeah. know, that's the way she is ego-wise. So, like, to... It's, it's definitely not her just being overconfident. You know, she's legitimately doing it because she cares for Adrian. At least that's the way it comes across to me. And then the last chapter that you read, I believe, was Adrian sneaking Max out of the hospital. Which was a pretty interesting scene, to say the least, but... uh... I mean, Adrian is very stubborn on this point that he's like, you're not going back into quarantine. I don't care what else happens. You're not going back into quarantine. Right. And I wish to a degree that he had felt this way before because in the first two books you see him put up with it and like it is what it is but you could tell that he was still frustrated with it but it's like those were the rules you have to follow the rules that's kind of the way adrian was wired at first right yeah and he does become more of a morally gray character as time goes on so i feel like it makes sense for his thoughts and opinions to change but that's also his brother yeah so i feel like that's a little hard and that's everything that you read so far out of Supernova. What do you think? I'm enjoying it so far. Honestly, I'm ready for more things to happen. That's just me as a person when it comes to reading. I felt like this first section was pretty action-y. Yeah, it was, it was steady. Like, there was always something going on. And I feel like that's the way the rest of the book is, too. It just, it keeps going. Well, I'm excited then in that instance. Um, obviously, we'll be reading the second third this week. My reading schedule is definitely all over God's creation right now just because of work. So right, right. hopefully I'll get to read a little tomorrow and then some more on Wednesday and Thursday. It'll have to be like the big chunks of my reading. Your actual days off this week, yeah. Yeah, so. But we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. And if you want to stay in touch with us between now and the next episode, make sure you're checking out all of our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you on Tuesday for the next sports episode. Bye, guys. Bye.